Uh, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to gather, to celebrate together, to enjoy good food together, and to worship together and hear from your word. I pray that you would be at work among us, for I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the middle of a pandemic, have you noticed? This pandemic has been really difficult and challenging. It's led to a great loss of life. Um, A lot of people, I don't know if you feel this at all, are just ready to move on. They're feeling kind of stuck, kind of tired of it all. This pandemic, it's actually been building for a number of years, if you believe it. And it's only getting worse. It affects men and women, um, the elderly, but especially young adults and moms with young kids. And to fight this pandemic, you don't need a mask or a vaccine. Uh, There's no medicine that will help. And a hand sanitizer won't prevent it. And social distancing only makes makes it worse. I would imagine you've guessed by now I'm not talking about the coronavirus pandemic. It's, uh, I'm talking about another kind of pandemic, one the Harvard Magazine calls the loneliness pandemic. As a society, we're lonelier than ever, and it's only getting worse. In 2018, the Kaiser Family Foundation released a report where they found that 22% of all adults in the U.S., 60 million Americans, said that they often or always felt lonely or socially isolated. And that was before the coronavirus pandemic. And as you can guess, things only got worse. Now, 36% of Americans report feeling serious loneliness in the wake of the pandemic, uh, according to to Harvard University. And of those respondents, 61% were Adam's age, 18 to 25. And they say this, young adults and mothers of young children in particular seem to be struggling with loneliness. About half of lonely young people in our survey reported that not a single person in the past few weeks had taken more than just a few minutes to ask how they are doing in a way that seemed genuinely caring. And all this has led to so-called deaths of despair, um, which are deaths by suicide, drug overdose, or liver disease caused by alcohol. And even when those results are less severe, there are real physical and mental health harms. Actually, the Harvard Business Review uh, did a study, and they saw that the equivalent health effect was observed as smoking 15 cigarettes a day not having close relationships, not not being in community is the same as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. So you can say that you heard this in church. If you get into community, if you get in a small group, you can still smoke 13 cigarettes a day and come out ahead. (laughs) Isolated, lonely, a lack of friendships, no one to ask, how are you doing? Is there anything that I can help you with? Or even just simply, do you want to hang out? Lonely. Does that describe you at all today? 
Now, this problem, it's always existed. It's not brand new. It's getting worse, but it's always existed, even from the beginning. Even before sin entered the world, we read this in Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Everything else in all of creation was good, but this one thing was not good. And that was to be lonely and alone. We were made for community, for connection with God, yes, but also with other people. You need community, and I need community. Well, thankfully, God has given us a place where our, our faith is meant to be sustained, and community is meant to be formed, where people from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic classes, different political parties, even different ethnicities can come together and find connection, friendship, and deep community. And what is this place called? It's called the church. The church is God's place for his people to find connection and community that will sustain them and their faith. Now, in our society, we often think of, the, of a church, we think of a building or maybe a pastor but when the Bible talks about this thing of the church, it gives us a series of pictures or images to explain what this thing is called the church. Last month, we did a series on marriage and family, and Dwayne talked about the church as the bride of Christ. That's one image we're given in the Bible. But we're also given other pictures, the church as a temple, the church as a building, the church as a priesthood, and and there's a bunch of other images as well. Well, today, as we think about this thing of community and connection and loneliness, I want us to look at three pictures of this thing called the church. Two of these come from the Bible, and one I kind of made up. One is a summary, I think, of how we as a culture relate to this thing called the church. So three images of the church two from the Bible that help us with our problem of loneliness, and one picture that we've just created that actually makes it worse. So that's what we're going to do, and then I'm going to ask you to do one small thing, and I, you'll never guess what it's going to be, but um, that's where we're going this morning. The first picture we're going to look at that we're given in Scripture is this. It's the church as a body. This image comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you knew anything about the church in Corinth, it was a very messy church. Basically, Paul's whole letter to Corinth is addressing this, this issue and this issue and this issue. Um, and by the way, there is no such thing as a not messy church. But, but Corinth was especially, it was an especially messy church. And, and thank God for that, that he deals and is patient with messy people. But in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we come to Paul addressing this issue of spiritual gifts. And, and what we see is, is that the church is very confused about what these gifts are and how they function. And there's a, just a huge mess. And Paul gives them direction around spiritual gifts, which is just abilities that we've been given by God to bless one another. That's what a, a spiritual gift is. And it's in that context we read this. It's 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, 
Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So we see many members, one body, one spirit. And in verse 14 it says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And then Paul jumps into this kind of comical account of a body body parts having conversations with each other. And we read this. If the foot should say to the hand, that because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. He goes on. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together, and then he summarizes it by saying, now you are a part, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. There's a lot going on here, but, but maybe just a, a picture I could give you to simplify this. What if you were to leave here today and get in your car, you put on your seatbelt, turn on the car, and you put it into gear, and then close your eyes and try and drive home? How would that go? You'd be all over the place. You'd be crashing into things all over the road. What if you did the same thing and tried to drive, but you didn't have any hands? Or you didn't have any legs to press the pedals? How would that work? Well, it wouldn't. Take away any part of your body. For driving, I guess you don't need your nose as much. But take away any part of your body and try and drive home and see how that goes. It's the same way with the church. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. The church is like a body, individual members, but one body. And the first point here is that every single person here is unique. And every single person here has something unique to offer. Everyone here is an individual, which really is, we're good with that. That makes perfect sense to us. We're an individualistic culture. But the second point cuts against the grain of our culture. And it's this. You were designed to need other people. You were not meant to do life alone. You cannot flourish on your own. And no one wants to admit that in our culture. In America, we live independent, individualistic, 
self-centered, self-focused, even think self-actualized lives, or we try to, and doing this is physically and spiritually dangerous. It's like getting into a car and closing your eyes and trying to drive home. It's a bad idea. And when we live like this in the church, we become isolated, blind to our real need of others and to the real needs of others. And community can't grow. Relationships don't develop. And we get out of balance. And we suffer as individuals rather than suffering together. We also rejoice as individuals rather than rejoicing together. In in God's infinite wisdom and grace, he's made the church to be like a body, interdependent, in need of each other, not independent. So that's the first image that we're given. It's this picture of the church as a body, and we'll, we'll come back to that in the end. But the second picture that we're given is, is this. It's the church as a family. Throughout the Bible, we see this interesting development of how God works in the world, how he relates to humanity. And it's that he often seems to use biological families to accomplish his purposes. So when the world is created and, and he wanted to give someone the task of caring for it and cultivating it, who did he give, assign that task to? To a family, to Adam and Eve and their children. When the wickedness of the world grew so great that he wanted to to redo it all through a flood, who did he bring through that flood? A family, Noah and his, his children and their wives. When he wanted to establish a special covenantal relationship with a people, who did he do that with? He came to a man named Abram, and he said, even though you're, you're childless and old, you're going to have a huge family. And it goes on and on through the Bible. We see the family of Jacob, who gets renamed Israel, becomes a family of tribes. And there's a family line of kings, and on and on and on. This picture of family is developing throughout the Bible. And it, but then something different happens in the New Testament. There's this fascinating account um, from Jesus' ministry in Matthew 12 that we're going to look at. It's from Matthew 12, verses 46 to 50. And it says this, While he, Jesus, was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside. So Jesus is speaking in a home of some sort or some sort of building. His mother and brothers are outside. But he replied to the man who told him this, Who is my mother and my brothers? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my mother and and, uh, my brother and sister and mother. He's radically redefining their understanding of family. He's creating a new sense of family for his followers. And we see this play out through the rest of the New Testament as well. In 1 Corinthians 1, we read this. Paul, called by the will of God, 
to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Or James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings, count it all joy, my brothers. Or Romans 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but have thus far been prevented. And listen to these instructions to a young pastor named Timothy. I always listen a little closer to this book. Um, 1 Timothy 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him, how? As you would a father. And younger men as brothers, and older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. It's this language of family being applied to this thing called the church. What's, what's going on? While this family language, when we know they're not biologically related, well, part of God's intention in creating this thing called the church is that he wanted to make a family. Friends, the church is not just an institution. It is, but it's not just. It's not just an organization. It's not just a gathering for worship. It's not just an information delivery vehicle for sermons. It is all of those things, but it is so much more. Jesus did not die for an institution he didn't die for a building. Thankfully, he did die for pastors, but he didn't die for a sermon. Jesus died to adopt people into a family, people that would otherwise never belong there. They don't deserve to be a part of that family, and yet he died to bring them together into a family. And if we're doing this thing correctly, it should take on something of a feel like family. There should be a warmth, a connectedness, a love, a concern for one another, a desire to help. There should even be things like conflict because that's what happens in a family, isn't it? I love how theologian Ralph Martin describes the church as the family of God. He says this, the church at its best we always have to pause there and recognize the church is not always at its best. But the church at its best reflects all that is noblest and most worthwhile in human family life. Attitudes of caring and mutual regard, understanding of needs, whether physical or of the spirit, and above all, a sense of belonging to a social unit in which we find acceptance, and I love this, without pretense or make-believe. He goes on. Home life is for many a sphere where they can be natural as themselves. God's house shares this character when its worship and fellowship create an atmosphere in which there is free expression of our true selves, always in the hope that we can learn from one another and mature as we grow into our elder brother's likeness language of family. I think he nails it. The church is meant to feel like, to be like a family as we become like Jesus together. 
One of the great blessings of, of my job is I'm usually not up here, and so I, I am behind the scenes often, and I get to see this dynamic playing out across this church body. Things that you'll never hear about up here, you'll never see a video about, oftentimes simple things where the church is functioning like a family. And I'm sure there's hundreds more of these things that I'll never hear about. But I have seen widows cared for by their church family. Parents supported in their struggles, the struggles of parenting, by their church family. In, in my 11 years here as a part of this congregation, hundreds of meals have gone to moms recovering from labor and delivery, to people recovering from surgeries or people who are grieving. All made by who? Not the staff of Deer Creek Church, their church family. Marriages have been restored by the prayers of their church family. Unemployed people have been prayed for and found jobs because of the prayers of their church family. Sick people have been prayed for and experienced healing because of their church family. Counseling, rent assistance, utilities, mortgages, car repairs, all paid for by who? Their church family. People who are completely anonymous will get no credit. And why would they do this? Because that's how you treat family. On a more personal note, my immediate family has just been so blessed to be a part of this church family. Our families all kind of scattered throughout the country, our biological families. Um, and so this church has become like a family for us. It's had to be, otherwise we wouldn't be able to stay here. When I was in seminary, um, we had no money. We were completely broke. And our, the one car that we shared broke down. Guess who helped us out? Our church family. We've moved four times locally here in Littleton. Uh, lots of different moves. And guess who moved us each and every time? Our church family. Usually our small group. And we, we paid them very generously. Soda, beer, and pizza. That's, that's, what, we, that's what we pay. We have uh, four children, and when our middle two children were born, my wife and I went to the hospital, and guess who stayed back and watched our other kids? Our church family. And I could give you many more examples, but there have been ways that we've been able to be like family to others. Um, I've done dozens of moves. Uh, actually, I told the first, I've reached my quota, and so... Um, Daniel hasn't been around as long as I have. He hasn't enjoyed as many moves as I have, so you can call him. We've also walked with people, friends here in the church, through miscarriages and depression. We've opened up our home. We've been able to share our joys and our sorrows with others here as well. And friends, I would say, if you haven't experienced these dynamics, then in a very significant way, you do not understand what it means to be a part of the church. The family of God. And I get there are times when that can be legitimate, there can be real hurts from the past, and I don't want to minimize any of that, but God invites us into a family. 
a growing family, a family with spiritual grandparents and grandkids, spiritual fathers and mothers, spiritual brothers and sisters. And as messy as it can be, you will not find anything like it on earth. So those are the two pictures that we're given of the church in the Bible. Now for the the picture, the image that we've created. We have the church as a body and the church as a family. And in our society, we have a picture that I'll just call the church as a product. This is not in the Bible, but I think it summarizes how we often relate to this thing called the church. In this view, the church is not something that you are, it's something that you consume. How do you find a church in our society? You shop for one in the same way you shop for shoes or a laptop. And this approach is just generally about individual preferences. Questions like this, do I like the music style? Are the songs the ones I like to sing? Is the preacher funny and insightful? What's the vibe? Does it feel welcoming? Are there people there my age? Do they offer the programming that I want? And this is rampant in our society, and I am not immune to this either, so I'm not trying to bash anyone. I do the same thing. We want options, and we want to pick the best option. But I worry that we're asking the wrong questions and ignoring the things that will truly give us what we need and what we want. In, in my 11 years here, I can never remember being asked, is this a place where I can meaningfully serve and help others? I don't think I've ever been asked that. And on occasion, but not often, I'm asked, is this a place where I can find deep connection and community and friendships? And only rarely do people say, are there a bunch of people here not my age? People that I can actually learn from? People that have, have perspective to give me that I don't have? And, and this product to be consumed is why we have things like online church. And a, a quick aside, obviously I'm not talking to any of you because you're here. And there are people who are joining us online with real medical concerns around COVID or homebound for other reasons. I know many people here who uh, utilize the online service, the live stream of this service when they're traveling and they want to stay connected. And I think that's all very appropriate and, and good. So I'm not talking to any of you, but for everyone else joining us online those who choose to tune in because it's a convenient way to consume the product and you have no intention of diving deeper into this local church community. Maybe you're feeling lazy. Maybe you live somewhere else and just want to tune in to the services here. Maybe because you like the preaching, not this Sunday, but other Sundays <laughs> or the worship music or whatever. I'll just tell you as honestly and graciously as I can, you are missing out. You are experiencing a knockoff counterfeit product. It may seem like the real thing, but it's not. It won't sustain you and it won't last. And I've heard pastors say the craziest things during COVID. Like join us online. It's the same thing just at home. 
That's crazy talk. I have several friends who dated long distance, and I never heard them say, hey, this is awesome. It's the same thing just over Skype. Never heard that. When we were in lockdown, my kids never said to me, hey, FaceTime me with grandma. It's the same thing. It's just the same thing as snuggling up with grandma and reading a book. And I wonder, do you think the Red Rocks Amphitheater will recover from COVID? Maybe people have discovered that watching a concert online is the same thing as going to one of the greatest concert venues in the world with 9,000 other people. It's not the same thing. The live stream was helpful during lockdown, and it serves people with particular needs in this season around the coronavirus or other health concerns. But the church is not a product to consume. And when we treat it as such, we suffer for it. We don't experience this church as this interdependent body, this connected family, and we are left alone and lonely. I think a large part of the loneliness that people experience in the church is because they have a defective view of the church. They have the wrong picture. They've purchased a counterfeit product. So what do we do with all this? Well, you you probably sat on a booklet when you came in, so you know where I am going with this. I want to ask you to do one thing, and I won't promise that it fixes everything, but it does offer the hope of something more. And here it is. Get in a small group. Get in a small group. At Deer Creek Church, small groups are the primary place to live out this body and family dynamic. It happens in other ways as well, but it starts with regular community with others. Serving one another using your spiritual gifts. Developing deepening relationships that feel like family. And I can't guarantee that you're going to click and you're going to find your best friend for the rest of your life. But I can guarantee that every single week, someone will take more than just a few minutes to ask how you are doing in a way that is genuinely caring. Someone will ask, is there anything that I can help you with? And you'll ask those same things back. And maybe... As a relationship grows, you'll find them or yourself saying, hey, do you want to hang out? Our groups do not come with guarantees. I have been in life-changing small groups, friendships that I developed that even since they've moved, um, those friendships have continued. But if you don't try, I guarantee that you will never get anywhere. That same Harvard study I referred to at the beginning said this, loneliness begets loneliness. If you're lonely, almost the last thing you want to do is reach out, but you have to make yourself. And I think she's right. Here's the deal. We have 50 small groups starting this next week, groups for men and women and young adults and teens 
Outside we have ice cream, the Broncos are on, you, and you don't have to make it through the gauntlet this time. You can stop and get Italian food, hang out. There are leaders in all of those tents who would love to invite you to their open small groups. And if that's too intimidating for you, Daniel would love to connect you personally. He would love to hear about you, he, figure out a group that would work for you, and get you connected to one of our open small groups. But you have to take a step. Take a small step and get into a small group. Here's the truth that you and I need to know this morning. Our elder brother, Jesus, his body was given for us. And in some mysterious way, we don't actually know all of what went on, but he was forsaken by his father on the cross so that you and I could become a part of his body, the church, and his family, the church. It's not good to be alone. And the good news is, because of Jesus, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for this church body, Deer Creek Church, this local church body, this family of faith, that we would love one another well. Help us all to develop deep and lasting community. For everyone who is hesitant, would you give them courage? Would you lead people into groups and relationships where they can be their true selves, learn from one another, and become more like you, our elder brother. I pray this in your name. Amen.